0: We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of MRP, Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today joining us is Luis Romero. Luis is the Senior Vice President and Head of Sales of North America for The Guardian News and Media. Luis, welcome. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Happy New Year to both of you. I know this is your first recording, so excited to be here.
0: Yeah, we are too. We're really thrilled to kick off the year with you, and we're glad you could make some time to hang out with us, and Happy New Year to you too. For folks who, who don't know you, tell us a little bit about you. Where where were you born and raised?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to uh, give you my background, but before I do, I just really wanted to give a shout out to both of you for producing this podcast. I've gone back and listened to quite a few of them. And I have to say what you're doing should be acknowledged. It's great to see you guys put a spotlight on diverse talent in our industry. It's just not done enough. And so shout out to you guys. It's absolutely great. And I'm, I'm really honored to be here. In terms of myself, I'm a New York City boy, Eric. I grew up in the island of Manhattan, the Upper West Side my parents came from Ecuador, they're immigrants sometime in the mid 60s. I'm not going to tell you exactly when because I don't want to give away my age. Um, <laughs> but you know they they came at a time where in New York some people would say was probably at its lowest point in terms of crime. The Upper West Side was is not what we, you know, we think of it now. It was a kind of seedy area. But that's where I grew up. That was home. And I'm still but all intent and purposes, a New York City kid. Only recently, during the pandemic time, did I actually leave New York City. My wife and I were in Brooklyn, and we had a baby. My wife had a baby, a baby girl. She's now over a little over two years old. And we were in this cramped Brooklyn apartment, and we made our way over to, to Jersey. A friend of mine had a, a beach home down in Cape May, and now we're in Jersey City. So. You know, people ask me where I'm from. I'm from New York City, basically. And growing up in the city, you know, has a lot of advantages in terms of being exposed to to culture and and talk about diversity, you know, different backgrounds, different people. But I think what was important for me growing up was that I grew up in, I guess, what you would think of a typical, maybe stereotypical Hispanic family. In my apartment, I had obviously my parents, myself, my two siblings. I'm the oldest. I have a younger sister and then I have a baby brother. But in addition, we had the aunt, you know, an aunt who lived with us as far as I can remember. So she was always there with us. And then we had an extra room by the kitchen, this little room. And we had always somebody staying in our little room. So it was a... cousin passing by, an uncle passing by, and then ultimately, my grandmother settled in for, I don't know, 10 plus years. So Mm. we were a household of seven as I was growing up early on. And obviously, in the formative years, a lot of that impacted me.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. As I hear you describe that, I feel such a tremendous sort of parallel to my own upbringing and growing up with my mom and my stepdad, but that whole scene took place in Washington DC, which was very different many years ago as well. And I was trying to explain to a friend, just that example that you gave about how, you know, we lived in a two bedroom apartment and I was the oldest and I have a brother and a sister and we all shared a room. And we had another part of the apartment that literally was for a cousin an uncle right. or someone who was coming here just getting on their feet yeah and just needed like yeah. just needed a place for a couple weeks a couple months and then now i see all my family now and by the way some of that family could have been like close family friends right you we know, right. could have been like yeah. and and now we see just how our lives are different and yeah. all they needed was that little half step just to get there it's fascinating to hear you describe it cuz That's how it was for me, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we chanced on this apartment, my dad did, because his brother actually had that apartment and his brother wound up leaving the United States and actually settling in in Puerto Rico, even though we're not Puerto Rican, but he married a Puerto Rican woman. And he left that apartment for my dad. They still live there. My parents still live in this. Now you look at it and it's like, wow, this pre-war apartment on the Upper West Side. And people are like, wow, you grew up nice i was like no you don't understand this is not what it was growing up up." yeah Um, very very different but i I like to think of that time especially in the apartment as i describe it as beautifully chaotic Mm -hmm. um, because it was a great time and it was nuts right you're like waiting for the bathroom (laughs) and your grandmother like on you your aunt on you, all this stuff, but it was great. I I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world.
0: Tremendous. I want to ask you a little bit about how you think that formed ways you think now, right? Because like now we almost might be able to rewind back to the age our parents were not far off and sort of say, wow, right? Like, what does that do? I want to ask about that in a little bit. But I also want to ask you a little bit about your organization where you work now, Tell us a little bit about what's happening there. Cause I think there's some kind of cool things that a lot of people don't know about with the guardian it's certified B status and things like that. So talk to us a little bit about what Luis is doing today. And I want to circle back a little bit yeah. more to, to previous Luis, but <laughs> Luis now, yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because I'm at the guardian. I've been at the guardian since March. I head up sales. It's not sales. Maybe I should change my title, but it's, I guess we call it the commercial team. So with that comes, you know, research, the marketing team, pre and post, branded content, ad ops, account management, and obviously the sales team. So I lead our efforts across all those different teams, and you know I came over to the Guardian for a lot of reasons. One of them is. I love leading teams. I love kind of sparking new businesses. And even though The Guardian, a little bit about The Guardian has been around for over 200 years, originating in the UK. And I think a lot of people still, at least from the States, when they hear The Guardian, they think, oh, that's that UK new site. And it is, no doubt that that's where it started. What they may not know is that The Guardian has been in the States for over. 11 years. I think they came in over 11 years ago thinking this is a a growth opportunity. They were still printing a paper in addition to launching a website. And I think as many have seen that, you know, the newspaper business and print in general was on a severe decline. So they kind of shifted and focused only on a digital site. So we're strictly now a news and information site. where growing tremendously. We had a spike during the pandemic and we've been able to hold on to that audience. So people don't know that we're over 55 million uniques that we have a month. And similarly to some of the other kind of better known news sites like the Washington Post or the New York Times, et cetera. We have similar profiles in terms of people that are coming to us in terms of affluence and in terms of college and education, that sort of thing. But what they don't know, what's different from us is that our audience actually is very unique to us. So we don't share audiences or many audiences with a lot of those sites. So they're coming to us and only to us for their news and information. And the reason that they're doing that is again, unlike some other news publishers who are doing phenomenal jobs in their own right, we are independent. So we are owned by a trust that was established in the UK over 200 years ago. And it was established so that we can continue our work in perpetuity. So we're never gonna run out of money, mm-hmm. hopefully not on wood. And They also establish it so we can keep our editorial integrity. So we're not beholden to any billionaire owners, et cetera. And really, our mission is to give voice to the powerless and to hold the powerful accountable. So our journalism, there's a lot of deep investigative journalism, a lot of deep investigative reporting. And so we're going to go to places that People don't want us to go. We're going to report on things that people don't necessarily want things out it. And it's interesting that this mission was established so long ago. But yet, given everything that's going on, particularly in the States, it's more relevant than ever now. Fascinating. Yeah. It's more relevant than ever here in the United States, given the political, economic and obviously racial issues that we've had for not just the last 3 years but for many many years going. So, mm-hmm. I was really happy to join The Guardian not only to to do what I think is I do well, which is lead teams and manage business and et cetera, all that great stuff, but really because it aligns with my values and I love doing that. So, I want to talk about the values in a second, but Correll
2: yeah, yeah. Well, first, thank you for that description, because I think I just learned more about The Guardian in the last minute and a half than I knew <laughs> previously. So definitely thank you for that. One of the things that you said there was about sort of leadership and you love leading teams. And I can't help but sort of connect that to what you and Eric were talking about a couple of minutes ago about supporting family members as they Come into the states and are getting on their feet, so on and so forth. And I feel like there's a connection there between how you were brought up and potentially your leadership style and maybe how you mentor people. And I would love for you to sort of talk about that for a minute, if I'm right, if I'm accurate there.
1: Yeah, no, you're spot on, Corral. I mean, I think that's exactly right. You wonder how you develop your leadership style. Sure, you learn a lot of things over the years, but I think it all started there. I think a couple of things. One is. I was the oldest of three and I was the typical big brother in that I protected my, my siblings, but I also saw how we took care of each other to your point in the family. So their success, our family's success, were their immediate cousins or uncles, even more immediately with my siblings and my parents and my aunt, their success is my success and my success is theirs. And I grew up believing in that. And so from a leadership and management standpoint, I love making sure that that I can try to get everyone to perform at their highest level, but do it in a way that is respectful of their talents, because not everyone is built the same, and also keeping integrity. So I think anyone that's kind of worked with me or for me, would attest to that sort of management style. And I don't strive to make it family when I'm working with teams, though it's in the back of my mind. Some people have different reactions to, you know, when you talk about families, some people may have had not the same sort of family. But as they walk away or ultimately talk about the experiences with me or the team members, not just with me, they talk about the familial sort of, experience that they've had, Mm -hmm. that that they have of being part of something larger. It's not just about themselves. It's about kind of like the unit and again, kind of like using the family, it's the family unit. So it's, it's really important to me in the way that I lead and manage teams.
2: Gotcha. I'm going to switch topics here for a second. And so first, congratulations on you and your wife on your newborn and Welcome to the fatherhood club that Eric and I are both in. And Mm -hmm. obviously your, your child is younger than our children. And I'm always curious to, to find out from people, what does work-life balance look like for you? If there is such a thing with a newborn as well too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, great question. I will say that I do have two other kids, older kids from my previous marriage. Ah, Okay. this is my third child. So, but it's like starting all over again, Corel. I will say that I can probably speak to work life balance now and compared to perhaps my first two kids when I had them many, many years ago, definitely pre, very pre pandemic. It's really super important to me to be there for my kids, particularly for the youngest one now. I'm sure you've heard this the pandemic has been, in some ways, a blessing in disguise, in that. You do have the opportunity to work from home. You can actually be there for all these many moments that perhaps if you weren't, if you were traveling, if you were going to the office and trying to get home at a certain time, you'd miss these really crucial times. And so it's really important to me to be there when she's going to sleep, when she's waking up at any moment. And if a day goes by and I don't see her either in the morning or the evening, daughter i miss her so i miss my wife too but i really miss my daughter i think it's important that you spend time with them and i think from a work perspective it's kind of interesting and it'd be interesting to talk to kids who are growing up in this pandemic world where they can see their parents work from home almost exclusively 15 20 years from now what they think but i think it's a good thing they see that you know daddy or mommy needs to get on a phone call they're at the computer and they kind of mimic that that work you know so I see her like you know tapping on the computer and trying to do something on there so I think it's really important it's and it's important to me and, and luckily for me at the Guardian it's important to them as well that's great Louise I want to ask you a,
0: a little bit about your experience even before the guardian because I think it's kind of unique you know you've had the opportunity to work at some tremendous companies, NBC Universal, Univision, Katz Media Group, Group 9 Media, tremendous brands, uh, media yeah. brands, tremendous organizations. And within that, you've had the opportunity to also even be focused on multicultural sales and things like that, that I think are a little bit sort of newer for some folks. You know, So can you talk a little bit about what some of those experiences were like for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, My experience has been predominantly, at least my, my beginning three to four jobs were exclusively in Hispanic marketing. And I did that, again, going back to your roots, I did that because I grew up speaking Spanish, and I grew up in a very Hispanic household. And I wanted to be part of that world from a media perspective. I originally went to college to study, and I I have heard you ask this question before about, you know, what people study is not what they wind up doing. And I actually went to study filmmaking because I love telling stories and I, I love film. And I quickly, you know, shifted out of that because like good immigrant parents, my parents were like, you know, get a degree and then get a job. Hmm. Neither of my parents had a college degree. They're blue-collar workers, but they really wanted to push us the education-wise. So when I had an opportunity to get my first job, it was definitely in media. It wasn't necessarily my very first job wasn't in Hispanic, but I knew I wanted to be in that kind of Hispanic Spanish language world, and so I went to work for a Hispanic agency, and then from there, I re- went to represent stations, radio stations that focused exclusively on Hispanic. And most of them were Spanish language. And way back in the day, there was one or two that was quote unquote bilingual, which is very controversial, like you know, 20 plus years ago. But those were great experiences for me. And I was kind of in a bubble of working only for Hispanic media with Hispanic agencies. And, and you know, I didn't know anything else. I think there was a big Aha moment for me when I went over to Univision because Univision was an 800-pound gorilla in the Hispanic or Spanish language market world. It's a network that everyone had on. It's what I grew up with. So I was super happy and excited and proud to be part of Univision. And they launched their digital division. And I joined them before there were they even had the website I say that in quotation marks is you know it was the website um, right. and went out and talking to advertising partners for about eight months before we even had a site to show them um, you, were, you were
0: almost like selling the medium not even like yeah uh, uh, web is a thing Internet is a thing
1: yeah and it was the year of the dot-com bubble burst and as I like to say it was the best of times and the worst of times. Because it was super exciting. But what I learned there was that, that to your point, it was like really selling not just the medium, but like the market. So, marketing, how to work with partners and advertisers and trying to solve their business solution. Because, as we know, still know, you could talk to them about numbers and population and growth of economics and, People still didn't get it. So really what I was trying to solve is like, you want to sell more widgets, then this is how, this is the population that's going to get you there. And here are the ways that we can get you there. So I learned how to work with clients directly and... As you say some you know some some agencies you know and the clients weren't really ready for the digital world when I started, but it was a kind of easier barrier for them ultimately to get into so that that was exciting for me and I was there for a while and got to lead their teams and then From there, I went over to NBC, which owns Telemundo and Telemundo was partnering with yahoo, and so they kind of wanted me to replicate that kind of growth. And success that we had at Univision. And I was kind of ready for the change. So I worked with Yahoo and with Telemundo I had offices in both places. And there was kind of a different sort of experience in terms of I already knew how to talk to clients and what they were looking for, but it was kind of more of an internal sell. So it was really working with the Yahoo team and showing them the opportunity with the Hispanic marketplace. And on the NBC side, it was really kind of Say teaching, but educating the TV kind of legacy sellers on what digital could bring to an overall campaign, and so that had its different challenges as well. And I learned tremendously as well. I had a lot of the learnings from Univision that I brought over, including how to run an actual business. And I think from a sales perspective, you know, you're always against the, the goal or the budget, but from a digital perspective, at least. Even now, or back in the day, for sure, you wanted to make sure you were running a tight business. You were bringing money in, but you were actually, you know, God forbid, become profitable so that you could continue that business. And so I learned how to really handle a p and l and how to work with the editors and how to sell stuff that you knew was going to be profitable and not really focus so much on things that weren't as profitable. So tremendous learnings. At Group 9 Media, I think that was, you know, I look back at all these places and another pivotal experience for me in terms of of growth. Again, I'm naturally curious. I like asking a lot of questions. It's one of the reasons why I'm still in the digital space because it changes so quickly and I feel like I'm always learning something. But at Group 9, what they wanted to do is basically open up a multicultural center of excellence that focused not only on. Hispanic, but also on the Black segment, the AAPI, the indigenous segments, as well as LGBTQ. So I got to learn and represent all those communities. Obviously, didn't have the the wealth of experience or expertise that I had with Hispanic, I had been doing that for so many years. However, because I kind of already knew how to sell these specific markets and segments, I knew exactly what to look for, and ultimately how to represent these communities, both internally and externally to clients. So it was a a great growth opportunity for me being at Group 9 Media. That's great. I want to
0: ask you just a little bit about kind of the marketplace and just your general observations now, because those are, I think, big endeavors, but then also kind of specialization a little bit, if you will, within sort of media and marketing what do you think things are kind of now compared to everything you just described in terms of planning and budgeting and where you see brands sort of stepping up and and activating more like what are your thoughts and observations around what you're able to see now kind of compared to what you've seen before
1: yeah i mean i think before you know there was a i guess very early on again, I'll speak specifically about the Hispanic market because that's where I grew up and what I knew and and what I know. I think there were a lot of challenges to overcome and just like talking about the marketplace and the growth of the marketplace and how the Hispanic market was different and what language means to the community. So there was a lot of education that needed to happen. And I think there was a lot of progress done But, you know, the market, as everything else, changes. And so it gets younger, it diversifies more, even within our own communities. And obviously, with the change in media engagement. So, you know, those were very TV or linear-centric sort of companies that I had worked for. With the growth of digital, we just saw things completely change. And so everything else became more important. Social, this, the other. And so... I think in what we do in sales, you constantly have to be educating and keeping clients abreast of what's happening. I think that the budgets in some ways, well, it depends on how you look at it. I think they acknowledge now the importance of these audiences, but how do you actually reach them is completely changed. So you can reach Hispanic or black audiences or Asian American audiences. Not just in their endemic channels, but across the board, and that's a good thing, right? I mean, it's not like we're only watching a certain channel or consuming a certain type of media, like anyone else. We're adapting and engaging in all sorts of media. But it's like when you talk to clients, it really, it's really more about where can you have the most impact, and that's usually not only in endemic sites, but in sites that are really engaging audiences. It doesn't have to be just Hispanic or just Black. So I think that's a change in terms of budgets. And obviously over the last three years we've seen budgets go more and more or shift. I think, however, we want to make sure I know you know the word performative was used a lot a couple of years ago. It's still true. You know, you want to make sure that if they're doing sort of general Buys that it really means everyone, and not just a specific you know sector. So, budgets. You know, we talk about the economy. This is a. This is going to be an interesting year, right? I think people have been talking about recession, et cetera. I think the importance of engagement with whatever it is that you're representing or, or, or selling is important, because clients they want to make sure that their dollar is being well spent and having a big impact. So it's not just about reach. It's also about engagement as well.
2: Yep. Luis, where do you draw inspiration from?
1: Yeah, my inspiration comes from everywhere. I swear. And I'm not just saying that. I'm a person that I'm open, right? I'm an open sort of person. And I kind of let things come to me. I'm obviously looking for it, but I kind of stumble across inspiration and Inspiration comes from my family, as I've talked about, it comes from, you know, my dad, my mom, my wife, my kids, young kids, they don't know any better. So they're always saying stuff and they're asking questions and I draw inspiration from them. But, you know, more immediately in business, people I work with, people that work for me, inspire me. I think it's a two-way street and I'm constantly learning. And so I look for that, you know. I I look for inspiration anywhere and everywhere. It comes to me all sorts of places.
2: Awesome. Awesome. For anyone listening to this podcast that is thinking about a career in sales or entering the digital media space, what advice would you have for them?
1: Yeah, I would say if you're naturally curious, I think asking questions about anything, that's a great skill set to have as a salesperson. I think that the better salespeople are just naturally curious. They're just going to ask questions and not just because you have a script about, you know, when is the budget happening? Or, you know, of course you have to ask all those questions, but it's really just learning about someone else's business or someone's, what makes them tick, that sort of thing. So I would say, be curious, ask questions. I've heard On this podcast and everywhere, you know, I was thinking about networking, super important. I think it's very important. So, you know, when I look back on my career, I think it's something I probably should have, could have done more of. But I think it's not only doing well and performing well, but making sure that other people are hearing about that. And one way to do that is just by meeting people. And ultimately, your performance will get out. But the more people know about you and know about what you do, the better it is. So I think performance is important. And I think, you know, we talked about what inspires you and and mentors. I think ask people for advice and reach out to people you don't know, even if you can't get a connection, even if you don't know somebody who knows somebody, just reach out to them because I think we all love to talk. (laughs) And I think the older I get, the more I want to kind of you know, share and share with everyone. And again, it's a two-way street because again, I learn as much from people as I think they learn from me. So I think that's important as well.
0: That's great. Luis, I want to go back to the beginning again, your family and your parents and grandparents. And, you know, will they be surprised at what Luis is doing today? Surprise, no surprise. What are your
1: thoughts? your thoughts? No surprise, you know. Especially my immediate family. I'm sure my sister and my little brother will say something opposite. No, they won't. Like, I'm the person <laughs> that they, I'm just the person that they go to. I don't have all the answers. Obviously, no one does, but I'm the person they go to. So I think leading teams and kind of being an inspiration and being inspired by others. I think it's something that starts at home. So I don't think there'd be any surprise. Great.
2: So, Eric, I'm going to switch it up here a little bit. Usually I ask people for their top three apps, but I think for 2023, and sorry to put you on the spot here, Luis, I'm going to switch it up. What's in your music rotation right now? That's where I want to start going. I want to know what people are listening to these
1: days. (laughs) I like, I like. That is so funny. I was so ready for the app question, too. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I, I will connect it, though. yeah yeah. all right so my top app is spotify and the reason it's spotify is that i love music and i know people say that they have a wide variety of taste but i really have a wide variety of taste i mean Mm -hmm. i my rotation is is nutty you know if i take a look at my favorite artists are always there and you know i have probably three or four favorite artists, David Bowie, Prince, Duke Ellington, and the Stones. You can probably tell how old I am by, by what I just said. <laughs> um, so those that sort of group of artists are always in rotation. But, you know, sometimes I'll connect it to my second app, which is v uh, VSync. So Vsync is exactly. one of these smart apps that you can control like your humidifier mm-hmm. and all sorts of things. I'm big into humidifiers and usually when I'm putting my humidifier is when I'm going to sleep and I'll have Beethoven on, you know, so I'll have some of that music on. But my last app is zero. You know, it's January. I'm there, I'm trying to do intermittent fasting because you know, I'm trying to drop some pounds. So I usually have A very heavy sort of like workout music going on so that's very different that's a combination of like I guess hard metal sort of thing and hip-hop like something like very hard it just drives me while I'm at the gym so that's what I have in rotation right now I love it I mean humidifiers
0: Beethoven (laughs) I mean it's great Thanks for being a good sport and letting me put you on the spot like that.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I love the humidifier thing. And I, I got another episode we'll talk about. I got oils. I got lights. I got humidifiers. Right. I got I got, a, I got a whole thing happening, you know, but I love it. I love it. Luis, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for spending yeah. some time with us. And a lot of our audience likes to stay in touch, maybe reach out and connect. What are some ways that our listeners and viewers can stay in touch with you and reach out to you?
1: Yeah, I would say that the easiest way to do it, I'm also off IG right now. I'm taking a break. so um, Fasting, uh, fasting. That,
2: that's okay. Fasting. Eric has never been on
1: IG, so it's, it's okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100% <laughs> truth. It <You> can't get <laughs> in now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think LinkedIn is probably the best way to do it. So you can just look me up, Luis Romero. Happy to hear from folks on there. And if I don't respond right away, I try to do it within 24 hours. So I'll respond back to you.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Luis. And everyone, thanks again for listening. And we're excited this year. We've got a lot of great guests coming up and we can't wait for you to join us for the next one. So, but if you want to find some more episodes, you can find us where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks for joining us for another episode of MRP.